following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I want you to think about a time, and I know that you've had a time, when you were walking around, maybe you were downtown, maybe you are on the bus, if you take the bus, if you live in a big city that has a, a subway, not just empty subway tunnels, maybe you took the subway... Um, Rochester has a subway. It's just a really cool website. It's, it's like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, but but it's happened to you in a parking garage or something where you're walking along, probably in the dark, late at night, coming after a show or something like that, um, and and you're accosted by somebody, some crazy person. <laughs> you know, who knows what they're saying? They probably want money probably drugs, and how do you feel in that moment? Uh, do we see scared? Do I, do I see scared? <laughs> um, can I hear confusion? What's going on with this person? Can I hear like anger or resentment? Like, why would that person bother me right now? Doesn't he know I just left the RPO? <laughs> At best, probably, typically, for me, can't speak for all of you, but I suspect you might be similar. The best case for me is that I can avert my eyes, walk a little bit faster, ignore the crazy person, pretending that he is not there or she, just long enough to get out of range so that I can forget that it ever happened. And I don't have to engage with whatever is going on in that person's life. It does not have to intrude on what's going on in my life, which is much more interesting to me. Does anybody in the room operate anything like that in those moments? One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible tells the story of a time when Jesus had an encounter very much like one of those encounters. And, uh, spoiler alert, he handled it better than we handle it. <laughs> the story is told in Luke 8 and in Mark 5, but I'm not going to read the story to you. I'm just going to tell you the story. Is that okay? Um, Jesus and his disciples had gotten in a boat and were crossing this big lake in Israel, the Sea of Galilee, um, came to a, a town on the opposite shore from where Jesus was from and got off the boat. And uh, in my mind, as I picture this story, I don't know exactly how long it took, but I'm guessing in my mind, it seems like it would happen pretty quickly. As soon as you come into this little village, he shows up. The crazy man from the subway. Except this guy's way crazier. Completely naked. Screaming. Not only homeless, but making his home in a, in a cemetery. Living in the tombs. Where, because he was such a nuisance to the uh, everyday lives of the people in the town, they tried to chain him. 
and yet he was so spastic or strong or possessed that he broke the chains and came free. That moment, okay, when we all feel fear or confusion or maybe resentment and we try to quicken our step and pretend that we don't see the crazy naked person who just came out of a tomb with chains around his wrist that he'd just broken. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't suddenly remember that he left something in the boat. Just what I would do. And then when he gets to the boat, realize that he left something in Galilee. <laughs> That's what I would do. Jesus doesn't avert his eyes. He doesn't flinch. He stops with the man in the midst of his pain. And he heals him. Now, the particular spiritual nature of this healing or the unusual thing that happened with the herd of pigs immediately thereafter is, is interesting but not of importance to us today. So if you'd like to read the story and find that out, you can. The point is this, that Jesus was not hostile to the man, as I probably would have been. <clears throat> Where, by hostile, I don't necessarily mean aggressive but, you know, just how, like, the, the, uh, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. <laughs> Sometimes the opposite of peace is not making war, but pretending somebody isn't there in the midst of their pain. But Jesus invited the man into his own space, into his own life, and in that proximity to Jesus, in that hospitality, the man found his healing. The series that we're in called Reaching Out is uh, based on Henry Nouwen's beautiful little book uh, by the same title. Um, and this book, Reaching Out, talks about three movements of the spiritual life. The first movement is the movement from loneliness to solitude, kind of an inward movement. The second movement today, as you can see, is the movement from hostility to hospitality movement out toward other people. And the third movement next week will be the movement from illusion to prayer, which is a movement to God. I wonder, how many of you have been reading this book so far? That is great. That is so great. Um, that's more than I, than I would have thought would have been able to, to do this. Um, it's not too late to start. I have a, a couple of extra copies here. I've already given one out this morning. I have a couple more left, and if we get rid of them today, I will just order some more. This is number 17 and 18 that I have gotten on behalf of uh, you. They're 10 bucks. If you can afford it, you just give us the $10 and say that it's for a book. You don't have to put your name on it or anything, but um, it's not too late to read the book. It's, it's pretty thin, okay? And um, Henry Nouwen is not exactly... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit dense. He's, he's kind of a deep guy, um, but you can read it. You don't need to... You know, you'll be fine, is what I'm saying. And, <laughs> and you should get the book even if you don't plan to read it in the next week. Okay, That's really wonderful. Um, and how many were here last week for the kickoff message that Autumn gave um, the, about the first movement? Didn't she do a great job with that? Autumn was really good. Somebody wants to clap for Autumn. That's okay. We can clap for Autumn. <laughs> um, 
That, the podcast is available, by the way, of that message. If you go to our website, you'll be able to, to listen to that one. And the first message was about that first spiritual movement from loneliness to solitude. It's really an important idea, so subtle, but so important. And uh, the second movement today, from hostility to, hostility to hospitality, I'm going to mess that up so many times this morning. Just, just let's get over that. We'll agree that it's going to be okay. Anyway, the second movement does build on the first movement. Now it says, as long as we are lonely, we cannot be hospitable because as lonely people, we cannot create free space. Remember how he talks about when you're, when you're lonely and you haven't been able to engage with your own solitude and, and been content in your skin when you're alone, that you, when, you, when you come into contact with somebody else, you just kind of become, Autumn's term was needy and greedy, right? And that's not a, that's not a space in which you can make the second movement from hostility to hospitality, and of course, as we're trying to like, engage these ideas and apply them to our lives, that can be a little bit discouraging. And what I don't want you to hear is this. I don't want you to hear, you would better complete all of the assignments in part one before you move on to part two. Because these, these two things are, uh, what's the nerdy word, concomitant, right? They happen sort of at the same time. And you need to kind of do a little bit of this one, a little bit of this one, and a little bit of this one. It goes back and forth like this. It's ongoing. So this, uh, this approach, by the way, is a little bit different than what we normally do. So we're, we're, I'm essentially sort of teaching from a, a book that a person wrote a few decades ago, whereas usually I'm teaching from the Bible. And of course, we regard those two sources as, as very different in their value and authority and, and so forth. But now it is so soaked in Scripture and in his love for Christ that you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of overlap here. But this approach is a little bit different, and uh, if, you, if, you're just, if you're visiting with us and have just been here for the, this week and maybe last week, you're going, what do these people do? What kind of sermon is that? Um, well, it's a fair question in some senses and maybe not in others, but the point is uh, things get different sometimes around here. And uh, I don't want to apologize for that, but I do want to kind of make you aware that that's, that's just what's going on. If it feels a little different, that's, that's why. So I want to talk about hospitality as Nowen defines it, and then I want to hear a little bit from you about what has touched you, those of you who've read this book and started to think about these ideas, and uh, we'll see where we're at at that point and what will come next. But uh, we might be inclined, I think most of us probably, upon hearing the word hospitality, absent any context like this book, we might think that the word uh, just has its own literal meaning, receiving uh, somebody into our house. We did a series on hospitality about a year ago, and we talked about that in great depth and how the hospitality is a, is a Christian tradition um, that has been somewhat lost and that we as a church sometimes have needed to be uh, a little bit better and work a little bit harder at being hospitable, hospitable in our building, um, but also being hospitable in our homes. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. If you've ever been to Del and Mark's Monday night dinners, you might think that's hospitality, or if you've ever had a friend invite you over or especially if you've ever been a stranger in a place and had somebody welcome you into their home and make you feel welcome, you've experienced hospitality. But although that is really important, it's not primarily what we're talking about when we think of hospitality as a, as a Christian spiritual discipline. Uh, spiritual hospitality, now and says this, is a fundamental attitude toward our fellow human being. As with so many other things in life, there's an adjustment 
of heart and intent and mind that, that sort of has to take place in order for this reality to be ongoing in your life. Now, you can fake it, and here's a little spiritual secret. Sometimes faking the action part, it helps you get your heart and mind in the right place. But if all you're doing is faking it and trying of your own strength to do this, it's not going to be a lifestyle for you. It's not going to be a long habit that you form of being hospitable. So it's a fundamental attitude toward our fellow human being, which can be expressed in a variety of ways. And that's something that we need to cultivate uh, if we want it to, to translate into action consistently. And I love this idea of hospitality as the creation of a free space. Those of you who read the book, do you remember reading about this? Creating a free space where strangers can enter and become friends instead of enemies. And specifically, and especially, strangers who are suffering. Okay? If you look around the room and see the coolest person here, other than me, right? <laughs> the second coolest person here, <laughs> right? I'm like so far down on that list, trust me. But, and, and you think to yourself, well, I could be hospitable to her. I could invite him to my house. Or that family's great. I'd love to have them over. That's great. But <laughs> true Christian hospitality must be extended not only to the cool or comfortable, but to everyone. Okay, again, with Jesus as our model, extending hospitality to the crazy, possessed legion, possessed guy. And here's a hugely important clarification. I love that Nouwen says this, and I want to sit in this for just a minute and think about what this means for us as a community. This means inviting the stranger into our own world on his or her terms, not on our terms. He says this, When we say, you can be my guest if you believe what I believe, think what I think, and behave as I do, We offer love under a condition or price, which is bad enough, but then he goes on to say this. This leads easily to exploitation, making hospitality into a business. Those are damning words. Let it never be so that our hospitality as a church is a business. What does it mean to invite a stranger into our world, but to allow the stranger to enter on his or her own terms, not our own? I don't think churches are any good at this at all. I think we are terrible at this. I don't even feel like I even have to explain that for one more sentence. You get that, right? Have you ever walked into a church... (laughs) Including this one, man. I uh, <laughs> when I was in seminary, one of the assignments was to visit a church uh, from a tradition that is not your own, which I think is an excellent seminary assignment. I chose to go to the Greek Orthodox Church, and I wanted to know ahead of time how I should dress, because uh, today I'm a little overdressed for artisan. <laughs> I have a collar. <laughs> 
Well, I, I found I need some place for this microphone to clip. But. <laughs> so I called and talked to the church secretary, and, and I said, I just want to know, what, you know what I, how I should dress when I come to visit your church. And she said, oh, you can dress however you want. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear shorts <laughs> or a T-shirt <laughs> or open-toed shoes. <laughs> I mean, she's very nice. And they were all, when I went there, they were very, very, very hospitable people. But that's just, uh, unfortunately, that is just one silly, tiny, little microcosmic example of how churches do not invite strangers into their space on the stranger's terms. You have to kind of know the lingo and the language and the dress and the expectations before you get there, or you will get looks. And, oh, man, I told you I didn't have to explain it. You know what I'm talking about. Here I go. Let me ask you this. Those of you who've read the book, I would love to hear from you, since this is a, a community-wide effort, what are the things in this part that have really resonated with you? And uh, if you haven't read the book and you'd still like to, to, to respond because it's interesting to you or whatever, you could maybe vamp on that idea that I just put out there about inviting a stranger into your space on the stranger's terms, what that could look like in your life. So either of those questions, I just want to take a few minutes and, and uh, allow our whole community to hear a little bit from each other, not just from me, because I have a collared shirt. All right. Norma, yeah. Uh, the, the part that really resonated with me is um, just this week, a friend of mine, uh, we're planning our, our, our high school reunion, and uh, we're starting to be, I'm starting to hear from people that I haven't spoken to in 20 years, you know. And one of them is a, uh, a man who, in high school, I was very friendly with. And, um, you know, just friends, and we would plan, like, you know, school dances together and stuff. And uh, when we were freshmen in college, he came out. And uh, I remember I never met a person who said to me, you know, I'm gay. And it was, it was you know, kind of jarring, because I remembered him from high school, and he had girlfriends and whatever. And... I kind of, I just said, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's cool. And I brought him home to my, my parents and had dinner, and he would come by once in a while, and I told my parents about it. And he felt shame. He hadn't come out to his parents yet, his own parents. So to be openly gay in front of people who were his own parents' age was very hard for him. And I feared what my own parents would say. And they didn't say anything. They just welcomed him, you know, him into our home, and several times we had dinner. And just this week, he wrote me this letter that nearly brought me to tears. And he said, "Norma, I have to thank you for being so accepting of me all those years ago." And I said, "Well, sure, Ron. That's no, you know, no big deal. I'm, I'm cool with that." And, and he said, "But I really want to thank your parents." And he said, "Especially your dad." And my father grew up in Rochester in the 1950s and 60s um, in a community that viewed gay and lesbian people as other and as strange and as, um, you know, with some hostility. For him to open up his home and his heart to this, to this guy um, meant so much to my friend. He kept saying, I felt like a real human being around your parents, and I can't ever thank them enough for that. And that is when I, so when I was reading the book, that's what jumped out at me, was that feeling of, 
his fear that my parents would be hostile toward him, but instead offer him hospitality. Um, and so that was an example that really resonated with me. Um, um, so yeah, that, that was like a perfect, it was like amazing that I read it, and then literally days later, yeah. you know, my friend tells me 20 years later, I want to think. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Could you all hear Norma okay? Yeah. Um, boy, I think such an important idea. What we learn, sometimes this happens this way. We, we have a pre-existing relationship and friendship with somebody and then find out something about that person which, if we didn't already have that, might have generated hostility in us. And we realize there's no hostility because we already love this person. And if that doesn't make you change your reaction to people who, uh, who, who you don't already love, who, who give you that same information about themselves, whether it's a, you know, this example about uh, being a gay person or not, or, or something completely different, it's the same kind of thing. I feel like we... And as far as that particular topic goes, the, the, I think one of the reasons that society is, is becoming more progressively more kind of welcoming to LGBT individuals is that that has happened to more and more and more people that we have we've just like not known and then suddenly we do know and it's, it's too late to hate that person for that, you know? <laughs> right? um, I mean, I mean I don't, we shouldn't necessarily laugh about that because obviously... For some people, this is all too close. Sometimes it isn't too late to hate a person for that. But, but I think for most of us, that really is formational of our attitudes and things, that kind of thing. Um, it's one of the ways that we can become more hospitable people is by just observing what happens in our own relationships like that. I'll be frank, I haven't read the book, but what you just said, Pastor Scott, really uh, made a lot of sense to me because my, my family grew up in a very small town, housing or living in communities that weren't really legal in a lot of senses, you know, like tent villages and things like that. And um, we would see them all the time whenever we went into that city and it was the exact same action, just try to walk by quickly before someone sucks you into whatever their panhandle is, you know. Um, and when I was in high school, my brother was in junior high and he had a friend who was in high school. And his friends had a really horrible family situation with one parent leaving, the other parent had a substance abuse problem and would leave for maybe two, three weeks at a time. At one point, he was there by himself, 14-year-old boy, the utilities were not paid, and it was winter, and he was in a house with no heat. So what my parents do, they, they took this boy in to their own house, and they treated him like a son, and he lived with us for about two or three months, and he wasn't a shiny example of perfect, perfect teenage you know, like he had awful parenting, but they cared for him and they, they they really went out of their way and out of their comfort zone. But now, as you said that, I thought, how many times in that city where we used to go walking did I see teenagers who fit that boy's profile yeah. and they never ever got the time of day for us, never even when we get to the meal because it was, you know, if we didn't know them first as a family. The relationship is so, so important. It really is. It teaches you so much. 
Yeah, Mike's making a great point that perhaps the fact that this is, these two stories were from our parents' generation, that sometimes a little bit more experience in life makes you more comfortable and, and you've made some of that movement from loneliness to solitude. And, and maybe they aren't necessarily uh, as easy to achieve simultaneously. Maybe you really do have to work on that first movement and that, that pours more into the second movement. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, a couple more people. So I think ours is the of July. I walked here from City Miles, walked from my house to get here, and um, after the service, I was able to arrive. And people were really welcoming and broken out, even though I was some strange person they never met before. And then um, Patrick got emailed to other people, and I've had a whole group of people who have given me lives to the church, and a lot of them I never even knew before. And so that was just a really great example of hospitality here. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's, a, that's an encouraging thing to hear that. That uh, visiting as a person who has to walk from home uh, without a ride, you've gotten lots of rides. That's a great, that's a great thing to hear. Yeah, Ken. A couple of things. Uh, I don't need to explain us what they deal with. I, I'm not quite from most of your parents' generation. So what are you said my relationship with God isn't contingent upon everyone else having the same relationship. That's what it means to enter the, allow the stranger to enter your space on, on their own terms. But yeah, I, I, I can just carry on conversations with, with people who don't believe the same thing. So may not believe in God at all, have doubts. That's one thing I like about the church is they're very likely people in this room right now who have serious doubts or don't believe the same things about God or believe One incident, not to brag on myself, but just um, 
But uh, it was mid-80s. Um, AIDS was very new. We were just trying to figure out what the heck it was. People were very afraid that, you know, you could catch it by being in the same room as someone. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine, who I don't even remember who she was, but she was a nurse. She was working with, uh, with community health. Got a call from one of her patients or clients who was having a panic attack. He was a gay man who'd been diagnosed with AIDS um, and had a meltdown. And so he drove over there, walked him down, and I can remember thinking, you know, this guy just needs somebody to give him a hug, and I was a little afraid. Um, there was maybe some ickiness in there, maybe just also. I had to believe, no, no, this is not a contagious disease. It's a horrible disease, but it's not contagious. I can, the guy needs a hug, I can do this. And uh, I was really following her lead. She was the one more hospitable, but um, it just that just stood out to me as somebody who really needed it in how hospital I was. I never, never saw him again, but it was in that moment I was able to be, and, and it wasn't necessarily not quite had to tell myself, no, this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And just believe what I need to be the truth instead of listening to my fear. And we were able, I mean, we were able to help him then get down to where he would be like a person for a while longer. It reminds me of a, a story that I think you could all find by, by YouTube or some other means. Uh, it was told by Anne Lamott on NPR program, This American Life, about a story not unlike that one at all. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And if I'd thought of it, I probably would have brought it here today to play for you. It's like six or seven minutes long, but it's that good. And it's that relevant to the, the topic at hand. So go find Anne Lamott's thing from This American Life. And if it doesn't bring fear to you, I, your eye, I think your eyes are probably broken. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, one more comment, and then we'll... we'll Thank you for this series. <clears throat> when I think about this, I read the book years ago, what the concept of hospitality and the foundation of our church for me, uh, when I first, uh, as an adult, started going back to church, um, the churches that I went into, although I learned the hospitality which was practiced, had a very patronizing um, and a for you approach, and don't I feel good because I'd be nice to you. Um, and so the hospitality to me that I've learned and I've experienced from people is when people met me at the place that I was at, and we saw what we had in common, and from that encounter, some form of a relationship began, but it was beneficial to both of us. And it wasn't patronizing. Yeah. Because the hostility then, if I were the one not feeling comfortable or feeling I'm the one that might appear scary to someone, um, then I would have hostility. Right. And so yeah. I learned from that to make sure that um, and it taught me taught me that I don't do churches, and I am a here, but it taught me that it isn't, that, you know, it feels better to patronize it. It feels better to say I have the answer 
Oh, it feels great to be patronizing to somebody who's not like you. Yeah. And it's called a Messiah complex. Yeah. It feels like you're being Jesus instead of being like Jesus, which is way harder than trying to just pretend you are him, by the way, um, which is probably a story for another day. But thank you, Nancy, for sharing that. Um, well, let's wrap up here. Again, this is just a very different way of, of kind of exchanging ideas and so forth, and uh, I, it's fun and different, but um, we're kind of, I think, still getting our feet under, it with, under us a little bit with it. Let me read you one more quote from now on and then a, a, a short thing from Scripture. Um, if, you were, if you felt like this sermon was short on theology, I'm going to hit you right in the jaw in just a second. Um, now it says, It indeed belongs to the core of the Christian message that God did not reveal himself to us in the powerful other, unapproachable in his omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Instead, he came to us in Jesus Christ. It is God Himself who reveals to us the movement of our spiritual life. It is not the movement from weakness to power, but the movement in which we become less and less fearful and defensive and more and more open to the other and His world, even when it leads to suffering and death. And of course, what Nouwen is referring to here, and even quotes it a little bit in the center in a part that I skipped over, is... This beautiful passage from the book of Philippians, which probably was a hymn of the early church. So again, not to go down this rabbit trail, but if somebody ever tells you that the church made up their theology in 325 when they had the Council of Nicaea, and that's when they all convinced everybody what they really believed about Jesus, remember that this text was written in the first century and that it quoted a hymn that had some pretty highly established Christology that it was assumed everybody would already know. Uh, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, here's the hymn, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the movement from hostility to hospitality. In the incarnation, in Jesus emptying himself, the Greek word is kenosis, that's, that's called the kenosis hymn, um, emptying himself, taking the form of a slave and, and submitting to death in the most humiliating way, when he could have been hostile toward people who were, after all, his creation, sinning against him, sinning directly against him as a man, harming him, hurting him, wrongly condemning him, executing him. And yet, in that moment, he humbled himself, emptied himself. That is truly the very best example of what this movement is all about that you could ever hope to find. Um, conveniently enough, it is also what we celebrate at communion when we respond to the Word of God each time we're together. And so I'd invite you, if you are seeking to follow Jesus today in this place, um, regardless of how well you think you might be doing, maybe especially if you think you're doing it poorly, 
uh, I'd invite you to this table. We're going to sing a couple of more songs together and uh, receive this bread and either the wine or the juice as food for your souls, as our friend John Wesley said, spiritual food. May it be for you the body and blood of Christ. May it be for you an act of remembering his sacrifice. May it be for all of us an act of unity together. Those of us who feel like we are similar, and especially those of us who feel like we're very different. Take a look to the left or the right when you're receiving communion, and remember that this is the great unifying sacrament of the church, that whatever crazy the person next to you might happen to be wearing today, he or she is your brother and sister. And the same is true because you're wearing some kind of crazy too, aren't you? Grace and peace. The table is open. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.